Coming in before we 
start off with the actual episode. It was mentioned last week. We actually didn't mention it in the actual episode, which is why I'm doing it now, that we were supposed to have a guest on this episode. Unfortunately, um, she's sick, so she couldn't be a part of the episode for this for this episode, so that's why she is not a part of it. It's just me and Mikkel. Um meant to bring that up in the episode, but forgot. So just telling you now, but let's hop into the episode. What's up, everyone? This is the Next Tape Podcast, episode 21 with Mikkel and Antonika, where we have conversations on different topics. So this is the fourth episode of our Black History Month series. So if you haven't heard the last three episodes, the first one based on inventors, mm-hmm. the second one based on civil rights leaders, and the third one based on death that affect the civil rights and Black Lives and Matter. There you go. So check them out uh, if you haven't. Uh, now... If we didn't do a great job, like I said last time, uh, you can always do your research. There's Google. Um, you can search Black History Month, anything that's Black History. Uh, you can go to your local library, read a book, or do your research going to, uh, you know, in America, Barnes & Noble. In Canada, we have chapters. So you can buy a book about, you know, a civil rights leader or uh inventor or a um a moment in black history and uh yeah, yeah. Your, uh, even on facebook right now people have facebook i know facebook is too old for some people mm-hmm. um but there's been a lot of different things popping up um just right. highlighting black history and um even that you know mm-hmm. is great right. yeah it's yeah. it's it's awesome to get uh a lot of uh accessible like you know information from mm-hmm. different types of um i would say different types of uh sources resources there we go there's the word there's the word I kind of struggled there. My bad, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, different types of resources. Um, and, yeah. Just okay. check them out. Just check them out. So, what are we talking about today, Tanika? Well, today we're going to make it a little more fun. Because last week was really tough. And we're going to be discussing Black people and arts. So that kind of is, you know, music, acting, dancing, even mm-hmm. actual art, even though I'm not talking about anything like artsy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll we'll go we'll get to it when we get to it. You'll you'll see. Okay. All right. Should be fun. I believe. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I like to dabble in, you know different types of art form such as you know music uh you know uh, photography or you know 
art itself, like you know how paint, you know painters mm-hmm. and etc. So, uh, yeah. So. So, basically, how I'm doing the first half of things is kind of just highlighting a lot of great black artists, and we can kind of, you know, discuss anything if we want to discuss anything. And then in the second half of my stuff is going to be very heavily focused on kind of a couple different things in particular for one particular artist. We'll get to it, but. Let's start off with Gregory Hines. Gregory Hines is probably, if you don't know, one of the greatest dancers of all time. He's incredible. Well, was incredible. He has passed away, but he definitely influenced a lot of people. The person I'm thinking of right now, which I think I do talk about a little in a little bit. Um... There's a particular dancer who helped with Happy Feet, for example. When I think of great Black dancers, I think of these two people. They're incredible. So Gregory Hines, if you don't know, like I said, he was born February 14, 1946. He's a Valentine's Day baby. Nice. Yeah. And he died on August 9th, 2003. <laughs> he was an American dancer, actor. I believe he was in, I know I've seen him in a movie before, and I want to say The Preacher's Wife, but I might be wrong. Um, But anyway, he's a choreographer, and he's a singer. Right. He is one of the most celebrated tap dancers of all time. Now, here's something to say. If you've never seen him dance before, just type in Gregory Hines in YouTube. Mm. He's incredible. He's incredible. Um, so as an so, actor, go ahead. So, so was uh, was Michael Jackson? Oh, you're you're uh, challenging you know, me. Yeah, Michael was Michael Jackson ever inspired by this guy? I'm just saying. Um, no, really? I don't think he ever talked about Chris. Michael hmm. Jackson's not a tap dancer, right? Hmm. Ruby Hines is a tap dancer. Okay. Yeah, Michael right. Jackson was more influenced by like James Brown. For mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of his style. What actually I want to stress, and I did make notes of this for later, was I'm I don't know if Gregory Hines was a trained dancer. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say he was. Michael Jackson is not a trained dancer. Michael Jackson's dancing style is very different. Than Gregory Hines. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, as an actor, he's best known for Wolfen. Never heard of it. Nineteen eighty-one. Mm-hmm. Um. The Cotton Club. Nineteen eighty-four. White Knights. Nineteen eighty-five. Running Scared. Nineteen eighty-six. Mm-hmm. He had okay. his own show called The Gregory Hines Show. That only went for a year, 97 to 98. And he also played Ben on Will and Grace. Didn't know he was on Will and Grace. Interesting. Yeah, in 1999 to 2000. And 
he also voiced Big Bill on the Nick Jr. channel, which was an animated children's television pro- show called Little Bill. Oh yeah, I was like, big, I was like, what? Big Bill? I, was I like, never heard of the show either. Yeah, I heard about, about Little Bill. Little yeah, Bill. it went from nine. I don't think so. The, I don't think the, so. The, the little black kid that uh, that was wearing like you know yellow. Maybe, maybe I do. What I maybe I have to look at it and see. Um, but that ran from ninety nine to two thousand and four. Great show, probably. Um, which actually like they must have pre-recorded things because he died in two thousand and three. Um, but yeah, if he was 57 years old and he died, mm-hmm. so he's very young. Um, and here's an interesting thing that I found very interesting. You ready for this? What? What? As a Canadian, if you want to visit Gregory Hines, he is at a cemetery in Oakville, Ontario. Wow. I'm blown away. I didn't know he would bury here in Canada. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. So, I won't say where it is, um, just, you know, to respect um, his privacy, but... Do you know why the reason they chose to bury him in He must have been living Canada? here. I was at a from here, but I never thought he was Canadian. Like, and I'm only doing quick little facts here, but yeah, I he must have either lived here or he's from here. That's the only thing that I can think of. Mm. But again, wait, even so, so, wait, I sent I just sent you a picture of a little bill so you just can take a look. So, that's still does not is. ring a bell. Interesting, okay, it's like a black right. caillou. <laughs> Don't disrespect little Bill like that. Come on. I'm sorry, guys. Come on. Come I'm just saying he looks like him. Come on. Yeah. No, Caillou's horse. Don't oh, even get oh, me started. That's a that's a different topic for another day. Caillou's oh, one of the worst characters. Spoiled, oh, my God. Spoiled brat. Spoiled brat. So spoiled. <laughs> so freaking spoiled. Yeah. I'm going to find yeah. out where I kept Gregory Hyde is from. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, because I found that very interesting. Mm, yeah. Um, Pretty cool. I, yeah. I mean, like, even, like, Prince, for example, he didn't just solely live here. I think at one point he did, but he had a house here in Toronto, but he's still not buried here. He's mm. buried. Weird. Yeah, he's from New York. Huh. So he must have been living here. Does he have family? I don't Do know. Believe? No. That might be really tough to figure out, but yeah, that's so weird. I feel like most New Yorkers do have family somewhere in Canada. Probably, yeah. I mean, even like look Some, at me, yeah. I have family in New York. Yeah. Same. I mean, they're Same not. Same thing with me. They're not from New York, but they live yeah. in New York. My family's from mm. Jamaica. But yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Interesting. But anyways, that's Gregory Hines. Now, I didn't mention that there was another dancer that I think definitely was influenced by Gregory Hines, and his name is Savion Glover. 
I don't know if anyone knows who Saifan Glover is. Again, if you've never seen him dance, please put that into YouTube. Savion, S-A-V-I-O-N, Glover. He's incredible as well. Mm-hmm. He, so if you watch the movie Happy Feet and you see like the penguins dancing. Love Happy Feet, by the way. I that forgot is to say that earlier. That is Savion Glover. Mm. They literally like made him dance and whatever like the technology they use. Wow. That is his. He's incredible. Anyway. Great movie, by the way. It is a great movie. Great movie. For, is it the first and, and the second one? There's two movies, right? There's two of them, yeah. Uh, they didn't make a third one. It's a complete uh, chapter. No, that's that's I don't hmm. think they will. No, I don't think uh, they will. Because here's the other thing too, like um I think Robin Williams was in there too for that movie. Right. They're okay. not going to. Because no he was a pretty big character and, and I can't imagine. Like there's no reason okay. for them to do it again. It's true. Two is enough. Okay. Um carry on. Go ahead. So Savion Glover was born November nineteenth, nineteen seventy three. And he is an American tap dancer, actor, and choreographer. I don't know exactly what he acted in, but Nonetheless, I guess maybe they would consider Happy Feet, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. But like I said, he's really good. I do have pictures of everybody, by the way, that I'm going to talk about. Right. So we'll post those. But I mean, again, like, it doesn't give it justice if you don't watch these people dance. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's, yeah. uh, anyway. Yeah, it's a, it's on YouTube. So like, if you want to search search uh these guys uh just search on youtube mm-hmm. and you know enjoy the the tap dancing They're really good dancing so yeah and yeah. maybe i'm biased because i've actually done tap dancing before but i think it's incredible like what they do <clears throat> i've never what they do is just it's incredible i don't know how anyone makes their feet move like that mm-hmm. it's not so, mm. next person that I'm going to talk about, Anna James. If you know Anna James, Etta. she sings. Are you serious? Anna James. Okay, we're, we're going to get to it. We're, we're going to. Hopefully, I can refresh your memory here. Yeah, refresh okay. my memory. I will. So, James Sada, I think it's James Sada Hawkins, that's her full name, born mm. January 25th, 1938. Died January 20th, 2012, mm. was known as Etta James, and she was an American singer who performed in various genres, including gospel, blues, jazz, RB, rock and roll, and soul. Starting her career in 1954, mm. she gained fame with hits such as The Wallflower, At Last. Does that ring a bell to you? No? No, I need to hear this. I need, I need to hear. I am not singing it. <laughs> Sing it. Oh God, Sing no! For the people out there, no. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's saying, it, Sing it. Love. Sing it. My oh. love has come along. No, my lonely day. Okay, I can't. No. Tell mama. Tell mama about it. No. Oh God, you suck. So tell mama, something's that'll hold on me and I'd rather go blind. 
She faced a number of personal problems, including mm. heroin addiction. I think, unfortunately, a lot of the people I'm talking about probably dealt with some sort of drug issue. Mm. Um, severe physical abuse. It's horrible. Yeah. And she was also incarcerated. I never knew that. Um, before she made a musical comeback in the late 1980s with the album Seven Year Itch. So she dealt with a lot of stuff. It kind of... I mean, except for the incarceration aspect of it, kind of reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of Tina Turner because she went through a lot of similar things that she was with yeah. Ike. It, but I mean, yeah, may she rest in peace too. Um, so I will have photos for anyone who is like Mikkel and doesn't know who Anna James is. <laughs> Moving on to Aretha Franklin. Please tell me you know who she is. Yes, I do. Okay. Aretha Louise Franklin, born March 25th, 1942, died August 16th, 2018, was an American singer, songwriter, and pianist. Referred to as the Queen of Soul, Rolling Stone twice named her as the greatest singer of all time. With globals, um, 100%. The global sales of over 75 million records. Franklin is one of the world's best-selling music artists. Mm-hmm. Now again, she has a lot of hits. Yes. She's respect is mm-hmm. the one that's popping in my head right now. She's incredible. She also rests. Spotted a lot of artists. Oh yeah. Spotted a lot of artists from oh, Beyonce yeah. to Whitney Houston, you say? I would say, yeah, to a, to an extent, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Jennifer, Jennifer Hudson, I would say. I would say, yeah. Yeah. I was, I, okay. That's the thing. We're talking about divas here in the great sense of it. Mm. And a lot of these people influenced others. That's just how it goes. These people would not, like, these people of today's, in, like, music or whatever, wouldn't mm. exist if it wasn't for the pioneers who paved the way for them right you know 100%. So, yeah so if you are interested in learning a little more about aretha franklin there is the movie with jennifer hudson which i have not yet seen but there is also a history channel mini series that was incredible i think it was six parts seven parts it was mm. really incredible very in-depth and it goes right to when she was a kid to when she was older. Now, there's a lot of things that happened to her as a child that I did not know. Like, she was, she had a child very young. When I mean young, I mean like a child herself because someone took advantage of her. But it was, again, different times. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, she had a really seemed to have a really great family. She was mm-hmm. very close with her father. It was really a really good thing, which is why I haven't watched the movie because I will be comparing it to that History Channel series. Um, but it was really good. So if you want to learn more, those are your resources. If you want to do that or just do your research on her for sure, because she's incredible. She's incredible. Yes, she Anyways, is. Moving on to another one. Of course, I can't do a, a thing and not talk about Prince. Talking nice. about Prince. Nice. 
Prince Rogers Nelson, born June 7th, 1958. Him and Michael Jackson were the same age, guys. I didn't know that. Mm. A couple of years, a couple of months apart. Um, and he died April 21st, 2016, a day I'll never forget. He was an American right. singer, songwriter, musician, record producer, dancer, and actor. The recipient of numerous awards and nominations. He mm-hmm. is widely regarded as one of the greatest musicians of his generation. He was known for his flamboyant persona, his wide vocal range, which included a far-reaching falsetto. Listen, if you listen to any song, you've heard it. And high-pitched screams, I'm thinking Kiss right now. And his mm-hmm. skill as a multi-instrumentalist, multi-instrument- often bef- preferring to play all or most of the instruments on his recordings. His music incorporated a wide variety of styles, including funk, R&B, rock, new wave, soul, synth pop, pop, jazz, blues, mm-hmm. and hip hop. Prince produced his albums himself, pioneering the Minneapolis sound. So he's done it all. And I mean, for him to have gotten to that point, I mean, this is why, like, he did the work to try to make sure he owned his own music. Yeah. Had, you know, the artistic freedom because, like, this is why he changed his name. Like, everyone jokes, oh, Prince was a symbol. But Prince was actually yeah. a symbol because he was trying to make a point. Like, that's I- why he did it. That's why he wouldn't do collaborations with uh, artists who didn't mm-hmm. have their own uh, exactly uh, uh, their their uh, rights masters to their, or their rights masters. To their masters, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, he didn't. He, Which is actually like very makes, few, very few artists at the time. Yeah, at that time, and even today, have the rights to their own music. Very few. So. And like we'll talk a little bit about Michael Jackson and how he got rights to his masters. It's actually hilarious. I'm like, whoa. But I don't know if he ever would have otherwise. I'm not. I'm not sure. But we'll talk about that. But this is why Prince did that was so that he could have that. But also, Prince was just an incredible artist altogether. He not only wrote and sang his own music. He also mm-hmm. wrote other people's musics. For example, Manic Monday by the, I think it's the Bangles. That was written by Prince. Right. Um, Nothing Compares by the late great Sinead O'Connor, which I know is maybe controversial for some people. Me saying great, but she was an incredible singer. She had a lot of struggles in life, but she was an incredible singer nonetheless. He wrote that song. There's actually, if you search hard enough, yeah, if you search hard enough, you can um, you can hear him singing the song too, and it's incredible. Like he's like, mm-hmm. to me, he can do it. I love him. That's why I had to include him in here. So, I think the last thing before Mikel does his thing right. is I'm gonna talk a little Motown. Um, is that the record label? Or that is, is that the that is the record label, Motown. Okay. Um I mean I was gonna do I know we talked about doing other things to um run DMC, but I'll take a break and I'll jump into them and then I can do the last half. So let's do Motown. 
It's a little more information with Motown, just because it's a huge record label. So Motown is an American record label owned by the Universal Music Group, currently owned by them. It was founded by Barry Gordy Jr. And it was first called Tamla Records. And it was established on January 12, 1959. And then it incorporated as Motown Records Corporation on April 14, 1960. So its name... It's kind of like, I'm going to mess this word up, but a portmanteau, portmanteau or whatever, um, of motor and town. And has become a nickname for Detroit, because that's where Motown is, where the label was originally headquartered. And the home is, like, the, I call it a home because it looks like a house, but the record label is still there. Like, you can walk up to it. I don't know if you can go inside, but you can walk right up to it if you want to. It's still there. Um, I'll have pictures of it on social, but... So Motown played an important role in the racial integration of popular music as an African-American-owned label that achieved crossover success. In the 1960s, Motown and its subsidiary labels, including Tamla Rec- Motown Records, the brand used outside the U.S., so I guess they used Tamla as outside U.S., hmm. were the most... Um, of the Motown sound, a style of soul music with a mainstream pop appeal. Motown was the most successful soul music label with a net worth of $61 million. Mm. During the 1960s, Motown achieved 79 records in the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 between 1960 and 1969. So following the events of the Detroit riots of 1967, which I don't know a lot about. I know what happened, but I, I don't know a lot about it. Um, and the loss of key songwriting slash production team, which was Holland, Dozier, Holland. I've heard of them. That year, over pay dis- dis- disputes, Gordy moved Motown to Los Angeles. Didn't know he did that. Um, Motown expanded into film and television production. That I didn't know. If you've watched Dream Dreamgirls. You know a little bit about this. Yeah. So Motown spent much of the 2000s, which I didn't even know they were still around in the 2000s, headquartered in New York City as part of the UMG subsidiaries, Universal Motown and Universal Motown Republic Group. From 2011 to 2014, it was part of the Island Def Jam Music Group. Didn't know this either like this is like when i read this i thought oh i'm only gonna be reading something up until like the 80s i was right. not expecting this death you, you didn't expect uh death jam to be part of uh no hmm. not at all <laughs> not at all but it was i thought he got like he got rid of it like he and because a lot of the artists of motown mm-hmm. and like for example i'm thinking like lionel richie even Michael Jackson, all of these people were branching away from Motown and had branched, especially like Michael Jackson and the Jacksons. Mm-hmm. They branched away from Motown long before, like long before. And I'll kind of talk about it a little bit when we kind of get to that. But I mean, I might talk about it a little bit here just because we are talking Motown now, but mm-hmm. I'll wait till the end. Um, there was a lot of issues 
So they were losing a lot of their artists. And then you even add, like, you know, Rest of Soul, Marvin Gaye had passed away. People were branching away from Motown. So I'm surprised that Motown was lasting as long as it was. So, um, anyway, so in 2014, UMG announced that the dissolution of Island Def Jam and Motown relocated back to Los Angeles to operate under the Capitol Music Group, now operating out of the Capitol Tower. In 2018, Motown was inducted into Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame, so R&B, in a ceremony held at the Charles H. Wright Museum. In 2021, 2021, Motown separated from the Capitol Music Group to become a standalone label once again. What the hell? <laughs> standalone label? What does, that, what does that mean? Is it independent? Independent. Like they were before. They were independent back. Weren't they major? Like in, in like the 80s? Of course. But this is why I'm surprised. Well, even before the 80s, like 70s, 60s, 70s. This is why I'm surprised. <laughs> They're like. They must have rebranded during, well, from. As far from, as I know, like, I don't know anyone. Well, there are artists under the Motown label, but like, I didn't think there's anybody. So. And clearly, Barry Gordy himself is not the one still doing this because I'm pretty sure he's passed away now. Mm-hmm. So it's someone else. Like I think he sold it. I don't even know. I'm so confused. But I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so on November 29th, 2022, Ethiopia, sure. I think she's a singer or somebody mm-hmm. announced that she would be stepping down as chairwoman slash CEO of Motown. So that's who was in charge up until 2022 of Motown Records was this person who I don't know who she is either. Mm-hmm. Um so let's just kind of go back a little bit back to the good old days of Motown. In 1957, Gordy met Smokey Robinson who at the time was a local 17-year-old singer fronting a vocal harmony group called the Matadors, which I've actually heard of. But that's not what the name, they don't continue with that name. Gordy was interested in the doo-wop style that Robinson sang. In 1958, Gordy recorded the group's song, Get a Job, an mm. answer song to, well, sorry, it's called Got a Job which was an answer song to Get a Job by the Silhouettes and released it as a single by leasing the record to a larger company outside Detroit called End Records. It was in New York. The practice was common at the time, 100%, for a small-time producer, so that's, it was normal, especially in those days, Got a Job was the first single by Robinson's group now called The Miracles. Gordy recorded a number of other records by forging a similar arrangement, most significantly, most significantly with United Artists. So, interesting fact, which I didn't know. Smokey Robinson became the vice president of the company and later named his daughter, Tamla, and his son, Barry, as well. Mm. So this is, this is Gordon, uh, Gordon, Bear, uh, Gordy, 
this was what he it was him several of gordy's family members including his father barry senior brothers robert and george and sister esther were given key roles in the company as well by the middle of the decade Len and anna gordy had joined the label in administrative positions as well i'm not sure who they are family gordy's partner at the time and his wife from 1960 to 1964 ray noma Biles, also played a key role in the early days of motown leading the company's first session group the raber voices and overseeing jobet i'm not sure who that is either um mm. so let's get into kind of the top people that were a part of this label right so from 1961 to 1970 run motown had 110 top 10 hits their top artists during that period included the supreme um initially including diana ross because mm-hmm. again if you watch dream pearls they had some they had some stuff going on during their time um yeah. the four tops um the jackson five whilst and also stevie wonder marvin gay mm-hmm. the marvelettes and the miracles as mentioned um and we also had the temptations the contours edwin star who i've never heard of martha and the vandellas again never heard of them um the what, spinner what, what, what about the the funk brothers were they well they're not imagined here but that's true too oh. hmm. um the commodores as well Commodores were part of Motown. So, I mean, a lot of greats came out of out of this. It's yeah. crazy. So, here's an interesting part, too. Because talking about, like, the more recent artists. So, by 1998, Motown had added stars such as 702, Brian McKnight, Erica Badu. What is happening? <laughs> Again, I'm talking the 90s. I thought mm-hmm. they were gone. <laughs> but these are the people who, like, some of the big people that they had on there, which is crazy. And and Michael McDonald, that was the name I was trying to figure out the other day, who had, like, this black sounding to his voice, but he's a white guy. He, Michael McDonald is incredible. Anyways. And let's see if anyone remembers this girl. India Ari. Do you remember her? Who? In India Ari. No. No? I don't, I don't know no. who that is. She was pretty big for a minute. India Ari. Um, black girl. Um, if you don't remember, just search India Ari. I'm sure like her one hit wonders will come up but yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 but i was shocked to hear the name like oh it's a name i hadn't heard in a long time mm. but she was also signed to motown i'm that's basically it that i have for motown but like the other parts that i wanted to add like so the reason there was a lot of contention with some of the artists with Motown 
is because, again, if you've watched Dream Girls, you know this. With Motown, Barry Gordy had the rights to this music, obviously, but also had the right to the name of the group or the artist or whoever. He owned your name. So, for example, Jackson 5, as, as a great example of this, they wanted to split away from Motown, which also right. made things very interesting because Jermaine Jackson actually married Barry Gordy's daughter. Mm. And once they split, they could no longer use Jackson 5. Obviously, Jermaine did not go with them because... He stayed back with Motown to try and start his solo career, which didn't go well, Mm. mind you. So they split. I don't know which record label they ended up going to, but that's why they changed their name to the Jacksons. Because they could not use Jackson 5 because Motown owned it. Right. Yeah. I, I I feel like the Jacksons is a lot better than the Jackson 5. Yeah, but like there's way? five. Oh, I don't really care. It, it was, okay. it was five of them. It made sense, mm. even though there's six brothers in total. Right. Only five of them in the group at one time. Mm. So, I don't have an issue with the name Jackson Five versus the Jacksons. Mm. It's more for me the differences between the two is their sound. Their sound was very different, a part of the Jacksons versus the Jackson 5. So yeah, they they had different sounds um, in those two different things. And obviously, Jermaine was replaced by Randy Jackson, not Randy Jackson from Idol. Two different people. Mm. Um, but um, the sounds are just different. I feel like this is a situation where the artists never read their contract back in the day. Well, here's what I'm going to say. The the lawyers just like, you know, it was the label's lawyers Mm -hmm. just like, you know, shoving the contract in their face Mm -hmm. to tell them to sign this, sign that, sign this, sign this, sign this. And and I imagine this was a part of the fine print, right? Right. So, and here's another thing too, let's let's remember in, in particular with the Jackson 5 mm-hmm. they were kids you know they were right. most of them were under the age of 18 I think all of them were under the age of 18 we don't know unless maybe some were a little older or whatever I, I, I don't know but for mm-hmm. example when they signed Motown Michael would have been like 10 11 yeah right so we're going from that point and they're not reading the contracts. They can't even sign the contract. They're kids. Yeah. Yeah. The person in charge of signing the contract was their manager. And their manager was their father. Wow. And yeah. I don't want to get started with Joe Jackson. Because we are supposed to be highlighting Black greatness. Not to shit on Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. But he was so hungry for the fame for his kids, but ultimately for himself, that he didn't really do things, I'm sure, the right way. Yeah. Joe Jackson gave us 
what we had with Jackson 5, the Jacksons, Michael, Janet, all of it. But he was not a great man. Yep. But I don't want to talk about the dead. (sighs) Okay, so unlike, you know, Tanika, I don't have an extensive background in music. Like, uh, I... I only got into music during the late 90s. So, like, I would say 96. My first introduction to music, to be honest with you guys, was the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> first introduction to music was the Backstreet Boys. I mean, Seven. There are things we could talk about with Backstreet Boys, too, but we'll save that for another day. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. S Club 7. So the same then, things I uh, was into. Yeah, yeah, I was into those. I was into those I groups, mean. and then, yeah, and then, and then uh, Nelly, because I heard a uh, hot in here. Basically, I heard that. Uh, he was doing music before that, though. Yeah, and then also Jaru. Jaru was uh, was one. Why? Well, and then we all went through a Jaru stage. Yeah, and if you didn't, you're yeah. lying to yourself. <laughs> and then from Jaru, I heard f- Fifty. The, the whole entire beef and every single etc and then from from there now oh yeah they did have beef from, yeah from 50 to you know kendrick to j cole to lloyd banks to etc uh i'm mostly f- from 98 to basically uh i would say right now so basically mostly hip-hop a little bit of you know instrumental jazz lo-fi so over the years yeah, I did my research, watch a little, you know, contests, like contests, uh, award shows such as the BET Hip Hop Awards, the Grammys, etc. Did my research on a lot more artists like beforehand, you know, so I know who some of the artists that Tanika's talking about, you know, Aretha Franklin, uh, Jennifer Hudson, uh, Shaka Khan. Else? no shaka khan oh no no oh no we're gonna have we're gonna no you gotta you guys gotta help me out here realize that one of whitney Houston's songs was shaka khan's song right you realize that kanye west sampled a shaka khan song one of his right possibly i just had to listen to the the fire songs you know, Sorry, oh my, it? oh my God! <laughs> I can't I'm remember the you, song I... that he did. I'm pretty mm. sure it had to. I'm pretty sure it was a song that he did after he had the major car accident. Right. Um, I, I oh. wish I can remember the name of the song because it was it's a good song. Mm-hmm. But he sampled "Through the Fire." I think that's the name of the song, Shaka Khan song. Right. I'm yeah. blown away right now. Yeah, like I said, you have more extensive Patty LaBelle. music. I heard of her, but not too much. Like that, that, that's why I said, you have more of an extensive background in music than I do. Like, like yeah, I only got into music in the end of the. You yeah. realize I'm like, younger than you. It's not so no, much that I'm like, I'm. I just. I'm the kid like, that back in the day when my grandparents would play like CHFI or whatever. Mm-hmm they would have on the weekends they would have the oldies and they would play like 50s 60s 70s right that's like, my 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 that's dad, what he, that's what the good music I, is my all he played was reggae 
my dad. dad. That's all. Oh, I'm yeah. selling to my mom. Oh. Come on now. Yeah, he played reggae. I didn't know who the artist is. He just. But do you even know the reggae artist? Some, but not a lot. He didn't really tell me a lot of the artists. He just played the songs in the in, in the car, and that's basically it. So, like I like I said, and we're talking old I, school reggae artists, like Sanchez yeah. and Luciano, like the old school ones. Yes, old school ones. Okay, I, I can't tell you who who the names. There's Hammond. Come on now, we're gonna beating man, you. Beating man. Okay, I'll give you beating man. I'll give you beating man. But I uh, mean. But- uh, uh Bob Mar Bob Marley reggae, right? Uh, too? Did you really have to ask me if Bob Marley is a reggae too? <laughs> You're Jamaican. Do better. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing with you. Yeah, Bob Marley's but reggae. Lot of and that's the, like <laughs> it's wait, hold on. Vi is it Vi Vice Cartel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but he's true. not he's not new he's not the old school type of reggae though. Mm-hmm. He's more new school. Well, you can tell the difference between new school and old school reggae. True, yeah, yeah. The, the new school used more. I feel like the new school used more attitude with the. That's reggae. not what I mean. That's not what I mean at all. I mean, I think some artists yes do, but that's not yeah. what I mean at all. The difference you can tell between reggae, like mm-hmm. old school reggae and new school reggae, mm-hmm. is how much they talk about women's body parts, and actually talk about sex and all that, like illicit. It's, sorry, sorry for going like way off talk with Black History Month, guys. Uh, well, it's but, still Black people, and I, I know, but uh, <laughs> but isn't isn't that been a thing hmm? for a while? Like, oh yes, but that's how like, you can tell the difference between yeah. new and old. Hmm. Like, I would say, the early two thousands, you could still get some good you know regular feel regular sounding r&b um r&b mm-hmm. reggae um right. once you hit like late aughts it's it's you're screwed mm-hmm. you're gonna have the alkaline and the vibe cartel and yeah it's okay I see. and that's not for me i didn't grow up on that okay yeah see i only i only know like three three artists in reggae because like i said uh, my dad did not tell me who were the artists playing my on mom didn't just, either my mom didn't either but i still uh, did like because i would hear a song and be like oh yeah i remember the song because my mom would play it and then that's how i figure out who who they were like i just did that on my own because i love yeah. the music bam man walking bam man push up push up and something like that <laughs> yep oh my god but um well yeah so let's rewind a little bit so basically yeah i don't have the extensive history but i did or i have been listening to this artist like a little bit recently uh uh his name is uh miles davis you something like no one's gonna know who he is i mean everybody knows who miles davis is pretty yes. much so basically Grammy Award winner and uh he plays the trumpet. You know, if nobody knows what the trumpet is, he I think we know what the trumpet is, Michael. Go ahead. Yeah. 
be there could be somebody that you know no you know that, that haven't graduated horn. school right that's a horn okay that's that's how it sounds guys um miles davis was a major force in the jazz world who was miles davis guys so instrumental in the development of jazz miles davis is considered one of the top musicians of his era born in illinois in 1926 travel at age 18 to New York City to pursue music. I wonder if he had a family in Canada too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think everyone uh, has family in Canada. Uh, pretty. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a I think that's a thing. Throughout his life, he was at uh the, at the helm of a changing concept of jazz. Winner of eight, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Not six, not seven. I think like we know how to eight, count. <laughs> eight <laughs> Grammy Awards. I'm just, I'm just, you know, just having fun with the people. Mm-hmm. Davis died in 1991 from, oh, wow. uh, yeah, from restore, res, 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 respiratory distress in Santa Monica, California. Respiratory. Yeah, respiratory. Okay, respiratory stress. Yeah, 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 respiratory stress. So early in his life, the son of a dental surgeon and a music teacher, Miles Davis, uh, was born Miles Dewey Davis III on May 26, 1926. His middle name was Dewey. I'm trying not to laugh. I'm sorry. That's no, 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 no. That's not even why. I'm laughing because there's a person on Smothered whose nickname is Dewey, and how he said that it's funny. It's sorry. Continue. It's all good. It's all good. So, on May 26, 1926, in Alton, Illinois, Davis grew up in a supportive middle-class household. Hmm. Interesting. Not a lot of, you know, black people are, are, you know, born in a middle class. class. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's good. What did his dad do again? Uh, He was a dental surgeon. That's why. Yes, the money is in dental surgery. That's why. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. He was introduced by his father to the trumpet. So the trumpet guys, everybody knows what a trumpet is, right? Yes. <laughs> just, do, just do your research on Google. If you want to know what the trumpet is, play Mama Number Five. Go to the end of the thing, and they'll show you a trumpet. Go okay. continue. All right. I don't know how I pulled that out of my out of my head. He says the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue. His father introduced him to trumpet at age uh, 13. Davis quickly developed a talent for playing the trumpet under the private uh, that's a tutor of uh, Eldon Butchernin? Butcher? Sure. Oh my God. I'm, butch- I'm butchering that. That's so a friend, a friend of his father is directed a music school 
uh, oh my god, the name is there again. Just say the, the tutor. Just say the tutor. Okay, I said the tutor. Playing the trumpet without uh, Baruto, to which was uh, contrary to the common style used by trumpeters, such as Louis Armstrong, and which would come to influence and help develop the Miles Davis style. So I'm guessing um, Louis Armstrong had uh, influenced Miles Davis style. Do you know who Louis Armstrong is? Since you're not more- serious right now. Of course I know who Louis Armstrong is. Okay. All right. Cool. cool. I, I, hey, listen. I just, I just, I just told the people that you know I don't have an extensive. Louis Armstrong is an incredible singer, and I actually thought I should have talked about him. So at least you are. Okay. Okay. Um, and you know, I see skies of green, red roses too. Oh yeah, I, I see them blue. Oh me and you. Yeah. Good song. Yeah. Um. But yeah, 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 yeah. Like I said, I don't have an extensive background. So. Oh, you need to brush up, man. <laughs> yeah, Not a great black artist. Come on. I know there there is. Don't don't even wrong. There is a lot of big rap. Oh, artists. a ton. There's yeah. a ton. Yeah. Yeah. So Davis played professionally while in high school. When he was 17 years old. Davis invited by Dizzy guess uh, Gills Pit, guess Gills Pie sure and Charlie Parker uh, okay. sorry it's probably Gillsby yeah Dizzy Gillsby and Charlie Parker uh, to join them on stage when the famed musicians realized they needed a trumpet player to replace a sick uh, bandmate. Soon after, in 1944, Davis left Illinois for New York City, where he would soon enroll to Juilliard uh, School. Oh no, Juilliard, 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 yeah, Juilliard. Juilliard. Okay. <laughs> Juilliard, known at the time as the Institute of Musician Art. It's so, it, it's now the school of just arts in general, um, mm-hmm. and it's one of the probably hardest schools to get into if you are trying to get into arts. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the most famous schools. Continue. All right. So basically, if you guys want to do more research on Miles Davis, uh, I should just you go on you know biograph.com. They have a lot of you know artists celebrities athletes i think i said actors already i don't know if i said actors um that you know you can just check their biograph and you know do some extensive research and you know what they did in their early life and you know what they um reasons why they got into you know their careers and etc so um Miles Davis this graph basically he did a lot of albums so basically he did like studio 
number of studio albums he did was 60. 60 studio albums. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and was working. That's a lot of albums. Yeah. So I can't, well, I, I can only name three, but there's there's more. He also did. We can't name 60. You <laughs> <laughs> can't name all 60. It'll be a long ass episode. Uh, he also did live albums. So live albums is like, you know, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Albums. Yeah. The concert so albums, did, yeah. yeah, yeah, thirty-nine of them. He did that. Okay. And he did compilation albums as well, forty-six of them. So this man was working. Jesus, work, 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 work. Uh, the three uh, albums he did uh, was kind of blue, which people know to this day, in a silent way. And on the corner, and many more. I'm not, I'm not naming all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thirty-nine and forty-six, combining with the studio album, live album, and compilation. So, also, he's been sampled many times with a lot of artists, such as you know, MF Doom. You know who he is, hip hop artist. Um, I don't think he. Do you know who MF Doom is, uh, Tanika? No, I haven't heard of him. Okay. Yeah. He if people wa- used to watch like the you know, the Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. He used to be like a, this guy in a mask rapping on the commercials. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So and then Fat Joe was sam- was sampling uh Miles Davis's music as well. Biggie mm-hmm. that's another one. Okay. Outcast. Oh. Yeah. And okay. pretty much more, you know, more people in the industry has probably sampled uh Miles Davis. So um yeah. That is it for my Miles Davis pick. Uh and I know, you know, Tika Tanika had more, you know, so Yeah. Like I said, I don't have extensive music in background. So I got you, I guess. But yeah, so I'm going to, I do realize that I do have an actor because I thought, you know what, we should have an actor in there, but I'm going to do him last and just finish up with the music stuff and then we'll do the actor at the end. Um, so I don't have a whole lot on Run DMC. I literally just have a little blurb. Um, but Run DMC was an American hip hop group from Hollis, Queens, New York, and they formed in 1983. And the group consisted of Joseph Simmons, Daryl McDaniels, and Jason Mizell. Run DMC is regarded as one of the most influential acts in the history of hip hop culture. Yep. And especially one of the most famous hip hop acts of the 1980s. So for example, if you think for me, when I think Run DMC, I think of the collaboration with Aerosmith when they did Walk This Way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know if it's necessarily Aerosmith because Aerosmith's, that's their song. But I think they ended up sampling Walk This Way and had Steven Tyler in the song. Um, probably one of my favorites. But that's kind of really all I have on Run DMC. Again, mm-hmm. if you want to know a little more, obviously. Um, do the research, but yeah. But then let's get into the more heavy part of what 
I'm discussing. So just to preface, me and Mikkel discussed talking, me talking about The Greatest Night in Pop, which is a Netflix documentary. But then I also decided to finally watch the Thriller 40 documentary, which was on Paramount. Mm. I believe I didn't watch it on Paramount, but it's on Paramount, I believe. And so with that, I think it's pretty obvious that I'm going to be talking about Michael Jackson. Um, I'm probably going to be reciting a lot of what I'm about to say by memory, because that's just who I am. But Michael Joseph Jackson was born on August 29th, 1958. He died on June 25th, 2009. Again, Mm -hmm. I remember the day vividly. Um, So he was an American singer, songwriter, dancer, and philanthropist. Gotta go through that. He was known as the King of Pop, and he is regarded as one of the most significant cultural figures of the 20th century. During his four-decade career, his contributions to music, dance, and fashion, along with his publicized personal life, which we're not getting into, made him a global figure in popular culture. Jackson influenced artists across many music genres, many music genres. Through stage and video performances, he popularized complicated street dance moves, such as the moonwalk, which he named as well as the robot which if you i mean it's kind of one of those ones that you don't see him doing a lot but if you've seen him dance you've most likely seen him do the robot and it's again a person who wasn't a trained dancer i was Mm -hmm. i forget that i'm like oh that's true he wasn't and anyways so this wikipedia needs to get their facts straight because it says here he's the eighth child. No, he's not. He is the seventh child of nine. Somebody probably edited it. Stop it. The eighth <laughs> child is Randy Jackson, followed by Janet. I can name them in order. We're not going to do that, though. So he's the seventh child of the Jackson family. Right. And he made his public debut in 1964 with his older brothers, Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, and Marlon born in that order as a member of the Jackson 5 later known as the Jacksons which we've talked about but that included Randy and did not include Jermaine Jackson became as uh, began his solo career in 1971 while at Motown Records at the chagrin of his father his father was not happy about the fact that he was going to go solo because he was threatened by Michael he knew he could do better come on anyways he became a solo star with his 1979 album, Off the Wall. His music videos, including those for Beat It, which we'll be talking about in roughly not in depth, but Beat It, Billie Jean, and Thriller from his 1982 album, Thriller, also credited with breaking racial barriers because that was his goal. We'll talk about it. His goal, especially with Beat It, was to break the racial barriers. Um, and transforming the medium into an art form and promotional tool. Mm. He helped propel the success of MTV. We'll get to it. 
and continued to innovate with videos for his subsequent albums, Bad, 1987, Dangerous, which was in 91, History, Past, Present, and Future, Book One. There's, it's, it's not a great album, but it still has greats in it. But anyways, that was 95 and then Invincible in 2001. Thriller became the best-selling album of all time, while Bad was the first album to produce five U.S. Billboard Hot 100 number one singles. I mean, this man was doing the damn thing. So, again, I don't really want to talk too much about the things that were happening in his private life. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to get into it because it doesn't help with what's going on with what we want to talk about. Right. But let's get to the darkness a little bit in terms of the end of his life a little bit. So in 2009, while he was preparing for a series of comeback concerts, his This Is It tour, which did we did get a movie out of that, um, Jackson died from an overdose of a drug, guys. He died of a drug. Administered by his personal physician, Conrad Murray, who was convicted in 2011 of involuntary manslaughter right. um, for his involvement in Jackson's death. Hmm. And again, there is a documentary. I'm not sure how easy you can get access to it, but there is a documentary that aired on Fox. Um, I think it was last year um, that had Conrad Murray on it and kind of talking about his experiences with, with him and kind of just really talking about really the last year or so of Michael Jackson's life um if you want to watch it it's a great watch but it's not an easy watch let's just say I was crying through most of it because it's it's really horrible kind of seeing what he was putting himself through Mm. which we will kind of touch on kind of maybe what started that a little in a little bit Anyway, his death triggered reactions around the world, creating unprecedented surges of internet traffic and a spike in sales of his music. Jackson's televised memorial service, which I did watch, held at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, was estimated to have been viewed by more than 2.5 billion people. And like I said, I was one of those billion people. Um, so let's get into more fun stuff so that we're not talking about the death here so kind of the notes that i took for the greatest night in in pop which was um talking about um we are the world so yeah yeah. there was actually did you see the clips where the clips my michael jackson were like you know impressed by some of the same was impressed wasn't impressed it's on the scene in the studio i have i have seen that <laughs> let me tell you sometimes michael jackson was a shady bitch he was, <laughs> he was great i can't remember who it was but he kind of side-eyed um, yeah it was a female it was a female uh, she had a high-pitched voice and Washington, michael jackson was like watch up in cindy lopper <laughs> Cindy Lauper had an interesting sound to her voice, so it might have been her. I can't remember who it was, though, but... um, 
and then the country i think it was a country that i would the like the the smooth voice but it didn't lily nelson it was it wasn't yeah it, it didn't flow well well um, it's pop there was one singer um i think i might talk about him um i can't remember if i actually bob dylan that's who it was um bob dylan doesn't have like a traditionally amazing sounding voice mm-hmm. um so he didn't flow like everybody else mm-hmm. and he was very self-conscious about actually his voice um so they managed to make it work and you yeah. you'll hear bob dylan because everyone has like not everyone some people have solos bob dylan was one of them so you'll hear his voice he's if you hear the song he's the one that doesn't sound quite like the others mm-hmm. but it still worked but I don't know if Michael Jackson was side-eyeing Bob Dylan. Because everyone knows Bob Dylan doesn't have a crazy sounding voice. So, it is what it is. But yes, I have seen that and it's hilarious. It, it, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I've seen I see it multiple times. It's just like, it's so funny. And then I go on Twitter, see the comments. We were just like saying that Michael Jackson is side-eyeing. Oh, 100% he was side-eyeing. But you don't, he, he doesn't do it, but slightly. You see the, oh, yeah. Slight. Oh, no, no. Listen, like, listen. The like, greats like Michael. Yeah. Shady bitch. He was shady. He was great. <laughs> Whitney Houston, shady as hell. She was shady as hell. Oh, my. Whitney Houston knew she was the best. Let's put it that way. And she was shady. She literally was like, Paul Abdul's not a great singer. I'm like, damn, Whitney. <laughs> That's funny. But Paula Abdul is not a great singer. She's a better dancer. Mm-hmm. But anyways. So yeah. Greatest Night in Pop. So this whole thing was to raise money for USA Africa. Um Lionel Richie, along with Michael, wrote the song. Stevie mm-hmm. Wonder was actually supposed to be a part of the writing of the song. But no one could get in touch with Stevie Wonder. They couldn't get in touch with him. <laughs> mm. He is in the song. He did show up for the recording of the song, but he never showed up for the writing of it. And they were kind of, they were being kind of laid back about it, doing their own thing. But then when they realized, oh shit, we have a deadline, then they got it done. They couldn't wait for Stevie Wonder to show up. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, though, that I want to bring up here because I want to tell everybody this. I found this out after watching a Janet Jackson documentary. A couple of years ago, fun fact: Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson, along with the other Jacksons, mm-hmm. are cousins. They're related. Interesting. They Stevie Wonder is on um, Catherine Jackson, so Michael Jackson's mom. He's on from her side, and he is like a third cousin or something. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, cool! Like, so much great in this family. <laughs> Um, which is actually hilarious because Joe Jackson was the musical one. That's how they got into music because Joe Jackson was actually part of a music group. The father. He was a part of a music group. So I found that very interesting. Anyways. Um, so Harry Belafonte. Please tell me you know who Harry Belafonte is. No. Oh my god. 
like I said, I'm gonna say keep saying it. No, more of an extensive music background than I do. So you might recognize the song because I'm gonna bring up the song in a little bit. Um, that he has like one of his most famous uh, famous songs. So Harry Belafonte was actually the driving force for why they did this. So mm. for those people who don't know who Harry Belafonte is, he is a singer. He has passed away. But not only was he a singer, which I didn't know this, he was a statesman in the civil rights movement. Mm. I never knew that. So his biggest thing that he wanted to draw attention to was the poverty in Africa. That was very important to him. That's good man. Mm-hmm. Um, so along with Harry Belafonte, the other thing that kind of was kind of maybe the groundwork for them in the song was the Band-Aid Christmas song, which if you know it's Do They Know It Christmas I'm At All which yeah. I had mentioned in the Christmas episode was one of my favorite songs. One of my mm-hmm. favorite Christmas songs. So that was kind of their groundwork. The difference with Band-Aid was that it was mainly white people singing for white people to, you know, help those who are less fortunate. Right. Not to shit on it, because, I mean, we had people like George Michael on there, who I love. We had Sting boy george i think was in there too so it was an important song to have but i think what they really wanted to do with this particular song was have not only white people but in particular black people singing to help black people in need in other countries that was very important to them with the song um so um so the other thing too, we're gonna to talk a little bit about like when they did it and the insanity. I the insanity. The things that oh. artists have to do isn't it's nuts to me. So they're gonna do this, right? Lionel wants Quincy Jones involved as well, which again, if you don't know who Quincy Jones is, please tell me you know who Quincy Jones is. I'm gonna lose it. Yes, I do know who Quincy Thank God. Is. Thank God. Quincy Jones is one of the greatest producers of his time. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. He's still alive. Let's protect him by all means, please. Mm -hmm. He's still going, but obviously retired. So, So, as mentioned. His his samples are getting, he's he's getting sampled by other artists. Of course. Yeah. It's impossible not to, honestly. Um, So, with with this with that including Quincy that's kind of where MJ got involved Michael Jackson got involved because obviously Quincy was working closely with Michael Jackson at the time he did produce his first three solo albums so he was very much involved with him and then that's Mm -hmm. kind of where Stevie was coming in as well it's gonna be roped in although Stevie wasn't there to write the song but anyways um they kind of mention obviously with Lionel, obviously being a part of Motown, Michael being a part of Motown, Stevie being a part of Motown, everybody knows everybody. They have literally grown up with each other. Everybody. And a lot of the artists who are involved in this 
and I'll talk about it too, all grew up with each other if they were part of Motown. And we do have a few people from Motown involved in this. Some of the people kind of go through the process of who they were going to bring in. They, I mean, I'm bringing Kenny Loggins because I love Kenny Loggins. I know he's not black, but leave me alone. Kenny Loggins. I know you're not going to know who Kenny Loggins is. So Kenny Loggins mm-hmm. sang Footloose. <laughs> he sang the, the theme for the Footloose movie. He also mm-hmm. did Highway to the Danger Zone for Top Gun. And oh, I know the song. Yeah, I know of the course. Song. There you like go. I said I know the song. I just there know you the, go. the artist behind it. Yeah. So <laughs> he also does another one of my favorite Christmas songs, "Celebrate Me Home," which mm-hmm. I love. It's you can sing that song. You can play that song any time of year. It's it's a great song. So yeah, we have him. Tina Turner mm-hmm. was a part of it. Diana Ross. Um, so they have decided because they're trying to figure out. Okay, we have a lot of, and I'm I'm only going to be. I might talk about like who is on there, but we might not have a whole lot of time to talk about each artist. But we'll leave it here. I'm only talking about a few people who were on there. This list of artists who were a part of this, it's insanity. And the biggest thing was trying to figure out when to do the recording and how that's going to work with each person's schedule. Yeah. Right. Each artists were probably like busy and probably oh, scheduled for the for other example, day. For example, Springsteen who was on the show on the, on the on the recording he was touring at the time he literally was in was he in boston i think he was in boston did a concert in boston and then literally had to fly from boston to la and there was a snowstorm happening too i don't even know how the hell he got there wow <laughs> like it was that's kind of just the idea of yeah. It was probably like, Dan golly, we're going to make it to that studio. <laughs> yeah. But what seemed to work was that the American Music Awards in 1985 was happening in Los Angeles. Lionel Richie was actually hosting the AMAs that year. So he's like, a lot of the artists that were trying to get on this are going to be at the AMAs. So why not try to record after the AMAs? Because everyone's already in town. That's what they ended up doing. They do the AMAs for like two, three hours, whatever. Actually, Michael Jackson was not at the AMAs that year. He was actually the first to arrive at the studio and it's just sitting there waiting. People will show up. And he, um, the others, literally after the AMAs, go from there to the studio and we're and let me just preface this I, I mentioned this at the end they were recording for like 7 hours and it started at like 11 o'clock at night 11, 11.30 at night and they were going way into the early mornings of the day like, Isn't that like under no that's under way under an average artist that you know wants to perfect it Fat the record and you know put it out on the radio station we'll see right but they were also yeah. still in the middle of composing it at the same time they had they have lyrics 
but they had to still compose it. Like they, they had an idea of what the sound was going to be. But literally, I kid you not, they were literally still composing the song while they're recording the song. I mean, we can go, we can go through the artists. This is, you know, it's like I might okay. at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, go ahead. Um, so yeah, they were still doing that. That's why it was lasting for so long. Um, you had obviously artists like you said have their opinions as to yeah. how the song should sound. Mm-hmm. Here comes Stevie Wonderly in the game, being like, "Let's add some Swahili into the songs," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Sir." But what they ended up saying is, we're trying to speak to the people of America to help mm. those people in Africa. We're not going to add Swahili into the mix. And actually, I think their goal was actually to be helping people in Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, Swahili is not a language in Ethiopia. So it wouldn't have made any sense anyways to have Swahili in there. Um... I think Michael also had a different idea to add something in there and Smokey Problems was like, no. <laughs> we had a lot of different people with their ideas in this. And again, right. to add to what you're saying, yes, you have people who are perfectionists. Mm-hmm. Ms. Jackson alone was a huge perfectionist when it came to Prince, his music. Prince? Prince too? Prince wasn't in there. Oh, was it? Prince was, was not a part of it. Sheila E. was. Hmm. But Prince was not. Swore a song. Nope. Mm-mm. They were trying to get Prince on there. And I actually thought for a second, wait a minute, was Prince in there and I just missed this? No, Prince never. Prince, Prince as they mentioned, had walked to the beat of his own drum. He did his own thing. He could mm-hmm. never be told what to do or where to be. I mean, Prince was I'm at the AMAs, but mm-hmm. he was not at the recording. Hmm. The, here's hmm. here's a thing that happened that I actually think was really gross, but right. I'm gonna bring it up here. They brought, I know you're not gonna know who Sheila E is, but whatever Sheila E, who was a huge person, a part of Prince, like she did a lot with Prince. She was actually in Purple Rain, the movie. So she was, you didn't see Prince without Sheila E, and vice versa back in back in the day. Um. So Sheila E, she was invited to be a part of this. They actually offered her a solo, but they basically did that to try to get her to get Prince there. They wanted Prince there and they wanted him there badly. Interesting. But Prince never showed up. Sheila E never got her solo. She ended up leaving. She stayed long enough. You see her. She's she's in the the main group of everybody in the video, but um, she ended up leaving. At, at one point, she's like, "I'm being used," and she left, which is really gross. Um, if you want a prince there, ask Prince to be there. But Prince Prince wasn't there. So, and again, like if you think about it this way too, like mm-hmm. if you don't actually think about. Prince and Michael had a little bit of a rivalry between the two of them. Not like a major rivalry, but they, yeah. their music rivaled each other. True. As well. True. Yeah. They were, if, they, if they were both in a the studio, they'd be like, mm. they'd be bumping heads. Because they literally say in the AMAs, like when they were kind of showing clips of the AMAs, 
delivery said any category that both Prince and Michael were in, mm-hmm. it was always between the two of them. The others never stood a fucking chance. It was always between mm-hmm. Prince and Michael. And that's kind of it's kind of like even today, when you see like when you see like Taylor Swift or somebody else that's hugely popular in a category together, chances are Taylor's winning. Not even the other person. Taylor's winning. But it's kind of the same thing. Um so, so um, go ahead. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Um, you have something to say. Uh, no, no, no. We'll, a little a little bit later after you name the name, so I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay. Um so yeah, they, they they do this. Prince wasn't there, unfortunately. I think it was a little great, but who cares? Okay, so yeah, so Lionel. I mean, Lionel was doing the most that day. Okay. Again, I'm talking about Lionel Richie. Please tell me you know who Lionel Richie is. Yeah, I know who Lionel Richie is. It, my name was like thrown around like dur- like all the time during in the, in the nineties. And, 80s, and, 90s, even now. Early 2000s as well, too. If you don't know who Lionel Richie is, then I advise watching American Idol so you can at least know what the man looks like. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> Lionel Richie. Yeah. He was doing the most. He hosted the AMAs. He performed, I think, twice or three times at the AMAs. And then still had to go and record this freaking song. Like, <laughs> that night. Like, incredible these people are nuts anyways so other people that we had um here Smokey robinson ray charles and as i mentioned diana ross um so we had many of those people um i did mention sheila e already so i won't talk more about her mm-hmm. um we had i i am gonna name some white people because i love these people Bette Midler was on this. I did not know that. I'm not surprised if you don't know who Bette Midler is. No. Bette Midler. Okay. Bette Midler. Wind Beneath My Wings. You are the wind beneath. No? Possibly, yeah. Possibly. Have you watched Hocus Pocus before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did. Okay, she's one of the Sanderson sisters. Oh, okay. She's the main one. She's um, uh, Winifred. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's an actress. She's an actress singer as well, but she's mainly known for her acting. Mm. Um. So she was there. Dion Warwick. Everybody, do you know who Dion Warwick is? Of course you don't. Oh my god. She's you... Whitney Houston's aunt. You don't know who she is. Okay. Do you know the way to say it? Jose? No? Nah, nah, nah. I don't know the song. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Um, so, I did talk about the Swahili thing, so we'll talk about that. Now, I'm going to bring up, because you said you didn't know who Harry Belafonte is, so I'm going to bring this up. Do you know? And so, in the middle of them recording, because they had been recording something for hours, mm-hmm. everyone's tired. And I guess the way they decided to break the ice a little bit is they spoke out in Harry Belafonte's song, Deo, Messe Deo, Daylight Come and Me Wanna Go. Yeah. Do you know the song, right? Yeah, I know the song. Thank 
god. So that's Harry Belafonte. Um, again, this is also, they play the song in um, Beetlejuice as well. Okay. So they broke out on that, and it kind of just helped with the mood. So I thought that was fun. And I was like, singing along with them, doing like, did I go? Okay. So, good ones. <laughs> so, like I said, roughly took seven and a half hours to record the song. Mm-hmm. It um, aired for, um, you know, for the first time in about three months later after they did the thing. So, and once it once it aired, it was huge. It had the effect, the impact they wanted it to. Yep. So now we're kind of at the end of the dock, and I wanted to kind of say some of the, the writing that they had at the end. So following its release of We Are the World, it achieved significant recognition, winning Record of the Year and Song of the Year at the 1986 Grammys. Um, and it also won a special award um, as well um, at the AMAs. Um, since the release, We Are the World has raised over $80 million, which is the equivalent to approximately $160 million um, in 2024 for humanitarian causes in Africa, and it continues to raise money to this day. Um, so they did do kind of um, in memory to the following people. So, in loving memory to the following people. Harry Belafonte, mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, yep. um, Ken Cragen, don't know who, I think he actually was involved in the behind the scenes of the song, Ray Charles, mm-hmm. James Ingram, Al Jarreau, um, he had some issues, um, Anita Pointer, um, Jane Pointer, which is the Pointer mm-hmm. sisters, Kenny Rogers, who we just lost a couple years ago, and Tina Turner, who we recently lost as well. Um, So I wanted to make, oops, not to point those people out. So, yes, Pekel wants me to list all the people who are on this thing. So bear with me. You can listen together. You can listen together, you know. Okay, so. Oh, we can listen. Well, I. Go faster. Are you going based on the. The. so um, I I have the US list. US US Today's uh article. Oh, should right I now. get a list? I'm gonna have that on the list. I think I got the list of Motown oh, people. Hold on, I'll give you the website right now. Okay. But yeah, uh after after we do the whole entire list, damn it. I want to ask you a question. Okay. So, uh, just give me a second here. No, I, <laughs> so I, I'll go first. Lionel okay. Richie. Stevie Wonder. Paul Simon. Simon. Is this a, oh, Simon. Kenny Rogers. James Ingram. Tina Turner. Billy. Is it jo- Joel? Joel. Joel. Joel? Joel? Okay. Yeah. Joel. I mean, not sorry. My boss's name is Joel. So I get that all the time. Anyway. Yeah. Michael Jackson. Diana Roth. Dion Warwick. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Dion Warwick. Willie Nelson. Al Jarreau. Bruce Springsteen. Kenny Loggins. 
Steve Perry. Daryl Hall. Hall and Oates, yeah. Okay, you go ahead. Lewis. Cindy Lauper. Kim? Is it? I think it's Carnes. Carnes? Right, yeah, right. I think so. Bob Dylan. And Ray Charles. Okay. And I feel like that's not even all of them because I mentioned that Bette Miller is in there. Um, I think some um, Latoya Jackson was in there. I saw her and I'm like, I know I know who you are. And Latoya Jackson was in there. I think a lot of the Jacksons were in were on there. Um, but anyways, yeah, that's Jackson, a, Jackie Jackson and Latoya yeah. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Jackson, mm-hmm. Jackson, mm-hmm. Jackson, Jackson. Basically everybody. Yeah. Everyone was on there. Yeah. Jeffrey Osborne. Okay. So what's your question before we move on to thriller? Oh, okay. <clears throat> so in today's day, mm-hmm. who are the artists? Would you like to do a like a like a redo of a song? Like, who are the artists today? I don't like when artists redo songs, so that's a wrong question for me to be answering. I I don't like when artists redo songs. Like, who are the batch of artists you would pick in the studio to just, like, you know, do, like, a part two or, you know... But like I said, that's hard for me because I I don't particularly like when when artists do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it can be a form of appreciation to that artist but for me it feels lazy mm-hmm. so it, I, I i don't really like like there's a, um, a song right now that's been redone by a, a country artist um that i think is like no um like it's fast car and i'm like no well why and so i don't i don't particularly like when artists do that True. So that that that's hard one for me. You, you don't want to pick. <laughs> you no. Don't wanna, like, you pick out. Because I wouldn't want that. <laughs> okay. I'll 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 do it. I'll do it. All right. Okay. I'll do it. I, I don't know. Like, is there like ten artists? Okay, ten artists. Okay. So we go from Beyonce, Taylor Swift. Uh. Mirai Carey um I would go Zaya you know who Zaya is right no S-C-A oh is that oh no that's um you're saying it wrong that's um yeah I'm saying Zaya Zaya that's um whatever her name I can't remember how to say her name now but yeah I can't remember her name but anyways yeah Justin Bieber Bieber yeah Bieber (laughs) Usher, I think Usher will be in there. Um, so that okay, so so just to quickly go through um, some of the stuff here, as we know, as I mentioned earlier, "Off the Wall" was Michael's first solo album, which yeah. he had done with Quincy Jones. Um, it unfortunately didn't do very good at the Grammy Awards. I don't think it won a single award. Or if it did, I think it won one. It won one Grammy Award, which was actually for R&B. And as I've mentioned, he's a perfectionist. He did not like that very much. He oh, this didn't like them. Michael Michael Jackson. Yeah, he wanted to strive. This kind of propelled him to make his next album the greatest album of all time. 
And that's that is what happened. So you had songs like The Girl Is Mine, which was done with Paul McCartney, um, which kind of helped him kind of cross over from being an R&B artist to a pop artist. Because that was his goal. He wanted to become a pop artist, not just an R&B artist. Um, so that's kind of helped him. Fun fact, in Wannabe Starting Something, when they say at the end, I'm going to say I'm going to it doesn't mean anything. Y'all, it doesn't have a meaning. Michael Jackson literally says it doesn't mean anything. It's just a fun thing. That's it. Because <laughs> me, I'm like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. So that's a fun fact. Also a fun fact, we're going to be starting something, which is one of my favorite songs from the album. Actually, I don't even know if I have a favorite song from the album. I love them all. Um, He actually hates that song he did not want to have that song on the album he thought it wouldn't do well and it did <laughs> um anyway um so yeah Billie Jean we had different artists on here kind of like Mary J Blige we had Usher and a talking and Usher knew Michael so kind of like talking about some of these songs right and what was actually very interesting with Billie Jean when they were talking about Billie Jean was Usher kind of saying, this is a toxic R&B song. Everyone loves a toxic, toxic R&B song. And I said, huh, that's really funny coming from you, Usher, because he's right. Think about it. We love Confessions Part 2. And that was a toxic R&B song. So he's right. Yeah. And with Billie Jean, this technically was a toxic R&B song because it's a guy saying, that girl's running to tell me that kid's mine. It's mine. It, it, mm. It's it great. <clears throat> it's, it's great. Um, and fun fact with Billie Jean, that actually is a true story. He had a fan write to him and say to him, I have this baby and it's yours. And he's like, I don't even know who the hell you are. <laughs> so it's a true story that actually happened. Um... <clears throat> interesting yeah so with this they kind of talk about the video a little bit and mm-hmm. how like they had the budget to only light up like 11 different tiles in the video like if you've seen the video you know what i'm talking about and it was the very it was the first of its kind this particular video because you had this person directing the video and you have michael just kind of standing in one spot for some of it just dancing just doing all kinds of different things and if you notice in the video a lot of it is focused on his face and not his feet because they weren't used to capturing someone dancing like that and capturing that in a video so it was kind of the first of its time where you kind of have to make sure you're capturing everything and also it was the first of it kind of telling the story. I think it was the first one he shot. So it was also him telling a story. If you've watched the video, it's basically mm-hmm. a photographer like following him around trying to get a picture of him. Um, so, and him dodging the photographer. So it was the first of its time and it was 
it was great. And since we're on the topic of Billie Jean, I'm going to get this one over with. When he performed Billie Jean for the very first time, was that Motown 25th anniversary concert? Um, Michael Jackson only agreed to do Motown 25 if he was able to perform one of his own songs. Barry Gordy didn't want to do that. He's like, no, this is supposed to be a Motown celebration. Your solo stuff isn't a part of Motown. I don't want to do that. But the way to get Michael to do it was for him to have this moment. And he did. He was able to have it. If you haven't watched this performance of Motown 25, his first performance of Billie Jean, stop what you're doing and watch it. It is incredible. It is amazing. Um, it was the very first time he moonwalked. And ever since then, Michael Jackson was never able to perform Billie Jean any differently. He always performed it the same way because that is what his fans wanted. He wished he could have performed it differently, but he never could have because that's what the fans expected. So it was an incredible performance and people who were there, there was one person who was a part of the doc who was there in in the actual room when he performed and he said, you'd have no idea the atmosphere in that place. You get glimpses. He said it was pandemonium in the place. He says, I felt bad for the person who had to follow his act. And the producer asked him who came after him. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. They don't know who came after Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson stole the show with his performance. Of course he did. So, Beat It. I'm going to talk quickly about Beat It. Beat It was a song, too, where he was trying to blur those gender lines. Um, gender lines, sorry. Racial lines. And for this particular song, because they were trying to get him on MTV. And they could not get him on MTV because MTV said, we only play rock and roll music and Michael Jackson's a rock and roll artist. What they meant to say, they don't play white rock and roll music i'm sorry i don't play black rock rock and roll music because i yeah, said to myself yeah. i'm like yeah. princess technically can be part of rock he's funk but he can be definitely part of rock y'all didn't play prince so that's kind of what we got to yeah he's light-skinned so you know it doesn't matter he's still black <laughs> but it's he his it says like watching this most incredible is that you had white artists who were being played on MTV saying, why don't you play black people on on MTV? But David Bowie literally was asking a MTV rep, why don't you play black people on your network? And they have to like come up with some fucking excuse in the moment. It got to the point where um, I can't remember who exactly this person is, but whoever was representing Michael who's also representing other artists was like i'm going to pull these other artists from mtv if you can't if you will not put michael on on mtv so what year what year was this um, this would have been like 84 yeah okay yeah racist racist absolutely absolutely still happening issues in it yeah Mm -hmm. okay so the what they end up doing with beat it was we're gonna make this a rock song 
And, and Michael said, I want someone who can kind of appeal to white teenage boys who love rock and roll. So that's where they ended up getting Eddie Van Halen, who was from Van Halen. And he... Didn't they have Queens? No. No. I'm going to tell you right now, most likely not, because Freddie Mercury was... They were doing their own thing, too. Mm -hmm. And then also Mm -hmm. taking into effect that Freddie Mercury would soon be diagnosed with AIDS um, around that time. He had AIDS for a long time before he passed away, and he passed away in 91. So, no. Rolling Stone? No, let me finish. Let me continue. They had Eddie Van Halen, who was a part of Van Halen. He did the single, the the solo, the guitar solo in Beat It. And that was meant to appeal. And eventually, I think that song did kind of help him propel onto, onto MTV. And again, no black artist before him was ever on MTV. Now, I think you're trying to maybe figure out here is Guns N' Roses slash from Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. He would be a part of some of Michael's music. Um, and he would, um, during performances, um, perform the rock solo from Beat It as well. But he was not the original person. It was Eddie Van Halen who did the original. Um, and then let's move on the Thriller. Let's move on to Thriller. With Thriller, he wanted to make this huge. He wanted to do this video. And he was dying down. Let me put this into perspective. He did the video for Thriller two years after the release of the Thriller album. So he wanted to kind of do something to kind of propel it back up. And he decided to do the Thriller video. Now, the record label did not want to pay to, for the rec- for the video because the video would have cost about, I think, $1 million when normally videos only cost $50,000. So somehow they were able to figure it out, get that figured out, and get him to, to do it. But um, they wanted to have this kind of cat and mouse kind of feel to it, which is exactly what it was with the actress, Olga Ray, who was in the video. Um, they had that kind of cat and mouse thing, which again, was the first of its kind, because Michael would continue doing this kind of cat and mouse thing in some of his videos. Um, the way you make me feel of one of them, you rock my world with another one he would continue doing that so he did that and he wanted to have it be scary he wanted that um and he ended up bringing on the director of the um, a werewolf movie that i've never heard of before but i know who the director is because he would continue on to do more of his videos john landis he directed um um the thriller video and they kind of just kind of talk about all of that different and again if you want to watch the documentary but i don't want to give everything away definitely watch it, it was really good mm-hmm. um so they do talk about that and with that this was a huge event children would take time off of school in order to watch the premiere of this video they premiered it on mtv it was huge yeah. and they ultimately because they would actually they created they made it like a movie so that you could actually get VHSs of of the thriller video which is just under 20 minutes long and they sold 100 million copies of thriller the video like wow. 
insane. Um, so just kind of coming back to kind of more present, I didn't mention we would talk about how he got a hold of his masters. So while he was doing a thriller, Steven Spielberg, you ever heard of him? Wait, yes. was actually, thank God, was actually in the middle of directing a little movie called E.T. So he actually, which I didn't know this, he actually wanted to have Quincy Jones work with him on doing a soundtrack for E.T. And with Quincy working with Michael, he wanted to have Michael involved in that as well. Um, so they this whole thing. We're going to they they released the, the stuff and everything. Problem was is that no one talked to the record label that Michael was a part of if this mm-hmm. was okay for him to do. Eventually, they made them pull the the record off the shelves, and Michael was pissed. He was really pissed, and which was funny because the guy who ended up making that decision to pull it, he's like, "Is Michael mad at me?" And I'm like, of course he's fucking mad at you. What the hell? Like, what you pulled work that he just did. Like, of course. And he's like, well, what can I do to make it up to him? And he's like, I don't know. You figure it out. And he's like, does he want his masters? I'll give him his masters. That's how Michael Jackson got a hold of his masters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, he didn't so kind like, of, you know, use any money or purchase it nope. or, you know. They gave it to him. They gave it to him. No, Michael would use his money to buy other people's masters. We won't get into it. <laughs> Did you know he actually owned Eminem's masters? That's, I think that's a rumor. No, I don't think it's a rumor. Apparently, I just heard about it now. Like, I'd never heard about it before. I just heard about it now. I don't know if it's true. But he definitely owned the Beatles masters. He owned the Beatles and Elvis. Yes, he does. He does. But I, the Eminem Masters, I think, because I, mean, I heard about that. Eminem made like some type of diss track, and then oh yeah, he did. And then Michael just bought it. I do, but I don't think I don't that know. happened. Nah, but yeah, he he owns the because yeah, he so, owns the rights to the Beatles. Yeah, go ahead, Michael. We go to this be huge on TikTok um, today. Um, his music has actually been available on TikTok since August of 2020. 10 million videos featuring him are available on TikTok. And of that, even more millions have actually like done reactions, stuff like that to certain things. Like he's popping on TikTok. Um, so basically this is kind of like introducing him into the new generation of people who maybe have never heard of Michael or even like yeah. heard his music or seen his music videos because everything that we have, like I said earlier, that we have today is because of him. Um, so, yeah, that's basically it for that. Like just kind of the quick version again, if you want to watch the, the documentary that was really well done, um, you can watch it on Paramount. Mm-hmm. So there is a little bit of a note that I have here. Like this was just a day ago. Uh, an article came out a day ago that uh, Sony recently um, bought stake in Michael Jackson's catalog. I'm not, I'm not surprised at all by that. 
I'm not surprised by all. Michael has had a lot of issues in his life and um, where um, Sony is concerned. He, he's gone head to head with them when he was alive. So I'm not even surprised by that. I'm I'm actually really upset about that because um, that's not what he would have wanted. Mm. Um, so the value of the rights were 1.2 billion. Yeah. Yeah. So just to close off, I wanted to talk very quickly about Cindy um, Portier, who is an actor. Um, so he was born on February 20th, um, 1927, and he died on January 6th, 2022, so very recently. Um, he was a bohemian and American actor, film director, and diplomat. In 1964, he was the first Black actor and first Bohemian to win the American Award for Best Actor. He received two competitive Golden Globe Awards, a BAFTA Award, and a Grammy Award, as well as nominations for two Emmy Awards and a Tony Award. So, like, he's he's the full thing. He's out on every single award. Mm. In 1999, he ranked him among one of the American Film Institute's 100 stars. Portier was one of the last surviving stars from the golden age of Hollywood cinema. Um, so he's had movies like Lilies of the Field, A Raisin mm. in the Sun, The Jackal, The Defiant Ones, They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, No Way Out, A Patch of Blue. He's, he's had many movies. And he was actually married to a white woman in a time where that was unheard of. But anyway... Yes. That's it. Okay, that's I'm it. done. All right. All right. All right. Tanika, you carried the whole entire episode. I think I did. Is your back hurting? Um, yeah, actually. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. Pretty good episode. Yeah. Uh, about um, Black artists in general so we did what do we do so a lot let's not try a name at all we do a lot yeah so black <laughs> artists in general I'll just say black artists in general yeah <laughs> so this ends episode 21 of the nest tape podcast and Nest tape podcast is available now on all podcast platforms we also have a, a website called solo.to slash nest tape podcast what else are we on we also have Facebook and Instagram at Next Take Podcast and Twitter and X at Next Take Pod. Okay. And we also have a email. You can email us, email us at MikhailTanika at gmail.com. So we go off there. Just going to finish this up on my own. But yes, for next week, we are going to be talking about the Black Lives matter movement so that's what we're going to be talking about that's what we're ending off our black history month special episodes um so that's it until next week bye